You are listening to a sermon series from Open Door Fellowship Church. Good morning. Woo, man, this feels good. Feels really, really good to be here. Uh, Fifteen years ago today, we left Open Door. Yesterday was my my last day at Open Door. I was on staff. If you didn't um, know my story or hear my name before, Matthew Bacali is my name. And uh, Jill Bacali is the, the real fame around here. She actually was Joy Thrall's best friend since fourth grade. Now Joy Stoll. And uh, so when I married into... Actually, Bill officiated our wedding 26 years ago. So that should date some of you. Because we showed up 24 years ago to open door. And... Um, we didn't know where we were going to go to church. We came down from Seattle. Jill had just graduated from Seattle Pacific. And we sat down with Bill and Grace in their uh, living room, the old, old living room before all the remodeling and everything. And uh, Bill was hilarious. He said, look no further. Just come to Open Door. And so we took his advice, never looked at any other churches in Phoenix and came to Open Door. And that was 24 years ago on September 15th. I remember that because Josh Thrall was two weeks old. He was born on September 1st. So all these memories are flooding back. And, um, man, I can't tell you how good it is to be here. 330-plus people, standing room only. Um, I helped to build this church. I'm one of the two men in this fellowship that brought the double wides in. It's my claim to fame. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Oh, if you could have seen how lousy they were. They were actually used from Tempe School District. You guys know this story? And they had condemned them (laughs) so we could afford them. And uh, you know I'm telling the truth. Everybody that's been here, you should have seen how we remodeled this place. And But this beautiful sanctuary. I remember we used to have... Do we still have the the baptism? Okay, well... I mean, we had to get rid of it because we were so afraid one of us was going to get shocked to death because they had this old heater. You remember this, Jason? There was a heater that, like, you could hear it buzzing when it went into the water. (laughs) And Bill's like, we'll leave that up to Matthew and the other younger pastors. He didn't get into the water here. Um, Is John Lynch here, by the way? I don't even know if he is. Okay. He and I uh, did a lot of baptizing back in those days, and uh, it was beautiful, you guys. We used to see 10, 15, 20 people on Easter morning, and I would weep as each would give their testimonies. Weep. And I know that's still going on. It has to, because this is a church that's alive and well. I don't want to embarrass him, but I met Richard this morning. Richard's been here for four weeks. I came in. He was here at 8.30 in the morning. He didn't know who I was, which is great. Love the story back 20 years ago. We're at a uh, men's retreat, and this young, new believer, really excited about his faith, up at Mountain Meadow Ranch, comes up to Bill Thrawn and says, are you new here? I'd like to introduce myself to you. And I remember how thrilled Bill was that somebody new would say, hey, I'm, I'm, uh, this is my church, and I'm alive because of what Christ has done in me. Amen? Amen. There are so many people in this room right now who came to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord because of this little fellowship. And I've always said this is the tiniest megachurch on earth because we've sent so many people out, haven't we? We've, we've had a wide swath of influence in the world. 
And I'm just one of those stories. So praise God, I get to be here. That was my introduction to show you this great photo. This is my family. Yeah. Uh, all four were, were born into Open Door. We lived on at uh, 2130 West Palmer, and then we moved to 2124 West Palmer, which is the Quinn's house. Uh, McFarland's bought it from us, and then Quinn's bought it from McFarland's. And it keeps getting better, but they lose bathrooms. Somehow they, they only have one bathroom now, and I don't know how that happened. But Eli is up there on the left. He's 21. He's a senior at Asbury University. This is just where I get to brag. I, he's a Bible and Theo major. He's um, training to be a missionary. His uh, thrill and emphasis, if you can believe this, is uh, mission farming. So he's going to go over in third world countries and see if he can't help me about Jesus and about economic development through farming. Then Emma is my five foot eight beautiful daughter. She's 20. She looks just like Jill. Everyone says it. Uh, she's a junior at College of the Ozarks, Hard Work U. And uh, she's a Bible and Theo major. She's going to teach the Bible. Hopefully, she's thinking of seminary and beyond and maybe being a professor someday. That's the, the hope. Henry's my stud Vietnamese son. He's the one that looks different. Um, he was born into this fellowship. Eighty-five of you came out to the airport before 9-11, because this is back in 99. And uh, he came off the plane, the Southwest plane with us, and it was a big party. And many of you in this room were there to, to, to meet him for the first time. He's 19, and he just enlisted in the Air Force. He's going to be in the coolest unit in the Air Force. It's called the Control, Controllers of Comfort Unit. He's going to be HVAC, HVAC. So here's, here's the sad reality, though. He doesn't, he's like, yeah, I don't have to carry a rifle. No, you're going to go in without a rifle and set up the tents and set up the air conditioners for all those guys that carry the rifles. Uh, and then Noah is 17. He was barely two when we left. He's a junior in high school and really fun and crazy, and um, he's, a, he's a lot like me. He's, he's kind of obnoxious and really <laughs> playful. So that's my family, and I wanted you to see them because uh, we, we raised these kids here. When we left, they were only seven, five, three, and two. But um, what we learned here as parents has really been critical in how we've instilled the love of Jesus in, in our kids' lives. And they do. They all love Jesus. And we're really, really proud of them. So that's, uh, okay, so that was sermon number one. How much time do I have left? Does anybody know? <laughs> Sorry about that. So I left here in 03 and went to Horn Creek. Some of you know Horn Creek is a Christian conference center camp for, for families and youth up in Colorado. I ran it for six years. It was tremendously hard. It was a really painful, uh, it was a great season to raise our kids, but uh, it wasn't safe. It wasn't safe the way Open Door used to feel to me. And one of the reasons it wasn't safe is because this was an environment that didn't understand grace. And so we, uh, quite honestly, arrogantly went in thinking we could change everything. And sometimes you can't change a whole lot when people aren't willing. So after six years of joy... And loving our kids and building a house in the mountains, we had to give it all up. And that's a, a, a beautiful story that led me to being on staff with Cadence International for nine years, military ministry. 
somehow I went from here to camp to military ministry. Never served a minute in, of my entire life in the military, but this is what I knew, and the reason I got pulled in is that there are young men and women and families who need Jesus, who are serving us in the U.S. military. And uh, we were seeing people come to Christ. The one year I spent in Japan as a missionary, I had spent eight years at the headquarters, one year in Japan. Uh, but that one year we saw 13 people come to Christ and get baptized on our rooftop in a little house in Japan. And uh, I say little, it was a monster truck. It was the biggest house in Yokosuka, Japan, because someone um, back in 1950 put $5,000 into a little Japanese house for Christian um, service members. And 35, 40 years later, it got sold for $10 million. And Cadence owned the house. So we had $10 million to build a monster truck house and a ministry center and in the middle of Tokyo. So I did that, and um, you'll hear in a minute, I have recently left Cadence to go run a ministry in Kenya. And there's another story behind that as well. So I tell you a little bit of my testimony because my testimony is also my sermon today. Not, not my story, but what's behind it and what the, what the scriptures have taught me all these years about what it means to give your life away as a blessing to those in your midst, whoever they may be. And I heard that Caleb preached on something similar last week. I have no idea, but he preached about the, the gospel. And if he preached about the gospel and this week I do as well, then I think we're doing pretty well, right? Because you head towards apostasy when you stop preaching the scriptures. And that's where our culture is, isn't it? Our culture is a mess. And I ask the question, what does this world need now? Well, what did Dionne Warwick say in the 1960s? So I'm now going to sing. <laughs> what, what's funny about that? <laughs> No, he knows. Matt Hoskins knows I cannot sing at all. But I can preach about this subject because I believe that I can preach what I practice. And God has been able to give me a life of giving my life away to be a blessing to others. And that's about as far as I can take it on the personal testimony side. So let me pray, and then I want to remind us of a couple of things and then get us into the book of First Peter. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there now, and let me pray, so do both. Father, I thank you so much for this beautiful day to be at Open Door again. God, thank you for how you have blessed this fellowship, how you've cared for it all these years. God, thank you for bringing in new people like Richard just four weeks in, and he loves this place. God, thank you for the joy of what it means to be in a family where we are rooted deeply in this reality that you love us, that you will never forsake us, that you always forgive us, that we can come running back to you at any moment. God, that's the reality of the scriptures and the gospel. Thank you, God, for this. People in this world are broken and they are lost and they need you. Show us today, God, just a little bit more of what it means to give our lives away. And I pray this in Christ's powerful and precious name. Amen. So this is one of the first things I learned back in the day when I was in my 20s, uh, cutting my teeth in ministry, being mentored by some amazing older men in this fellowship. And um, you hear this almost every week, don't you, that it's about identity, 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 
identity. What does that mean? It means that God plucked you out of the sea of humanity because he loves you and he set you apart to be a holy, beautiful child of his, adopted into his family so that you can be about his business, which is the second thing that I learned here, purpose. It's paramount. We get the first often. We love it. We think about it a lot. We go to Ephesians chapter 1. We, we go all over the Bible and say, man, identity is everything. But when we miss the second half of this beautiful story for our lives, we sit empty. We sit in a place where we wonder why other people are experiencing things that we're not. We're wondering if God could ever use us. We're wondering if we have any gifting that matters. I'm a gifted administrator. When I found that out at 29, I was embarrassed. I didn't want to be an administrator. I want to be something cool. (laughs) And somebody in this fellowship said, Matthew, you need to be a gifted administrator because when you live out of your gifting, guess what you get to do? You get to love the body. So I'm here to tell you that it doesn't matter how God wired you. You have to figure it out. And you have to find out what God wants you to do because you are on mission. When you aren't on mission, you become introverted. And when you're introverted, you look at your own nose. And that gets really annoying to you and others. So God wants us to be on mission. He wants us to know that we have purpose. And he set us up so that we could be hardwired There's something that's really special. You will never influence the people that I influence, but I won't influence who you get to. Ever. I'm not in your world. I'm not in your circle. But man, when you come alive and you're fully alive, watch what happens because what the world needs is you to become fully alive. Amen? Amen. So identity and purpose. That gets us into what Jason's waiting for, and that is that I love to always talk about what it means to be a sojourner. I'm going to say it three times. Sojourner, sojourner, sojourner. You know what that means? It means that we're an alien and stranger and foreigner in this present situation that we live in. This is not our home, and this is our temporary nation. So when we get all excited about what's going on in the political arena and when we get all excited about what's going on in the money that we can make or whatever it might be, which is fine and dandy that you can make money and that you can care about a political thing, but when you're not steering that towards the kingdom, if you're not looking at someday we're going to be home in heaven where our true identity rests, then you're missing out on something pretty powerful. So check out this very first verse. If you're taking notes, I'm going to take you through eight passages in 1 Peter, not all of them this long, but I want you to see where it starts. Dear friends, I urge you, identity, as aliens and strangers. By the way, alien means close to stranger. You know what a close to stranger is? Somebody who's so close to the world around him or her that the love of that person just oozes out onto other people. But then strangers from it so that you don't get caught up in its trappings. So uh, an alien or a stranger is actually a close-to stranger. It's both words together in the Greek. It's a beautiful idea, isn't it? 
I want to get in so close that I can smell what's going on. And I want to love so well that people around me go, man, there's something going on in him or her that is so unique. What is it? Well, let me show you what it is. You guys know this verse. This is a prayer from Paul. He says, may the Lord make your love increase and flow out for each other and for everyone else. Where does it flow first? Onto each other. When we're loving well, what is... What does Jesus say in John in his last words, John 15, 16, and 17? What does he say? He says, the world's going to know about me because of you and how you do what? So when we're not loving well, what does the world see? They see hypocrisy. They see weirdness. They see internal anger. They see introversion. But we're men and women who are called to be on mission. What I want to be able to say is I am so stinking busy on mission, I don't even know what's really going on in the internal, except that I'm loving and being loved. Because when it overflows onto each other, we come to life, and then the unbelieving world around us that's antagonistic to this message, I don't know if you've noticed, but in the last 10 years it's gotten kind of hard to just say, hey, I'm an open Christian I'm I'm proud of that. It's getting harder and harder to say that, isn't it? Because now we're like bigots because we believe the Bible or whatever it might be. You guys, what the world needs to see is not harsh words, but deep love from us. And now you're going to see how Peter talks to us about this responsive love living. This isn't legalism. This isn't something I have to do. This is the joy of my life that I get to give it away to bless other people because Jesus has filled me up like a well and it's just seeping out on the people around me. And how do I do that? Out of how he wired me. Where? In the people that he gave me. Because God gave some, like Ryan Thurman, hey brother, this international presence. And God gave some, like... Matt Hoskins, hey brother, his neighborhood, is one of them better than the other? Oh, please tell me no. Right? Like we get a chance to give our life away to bless others because the only thing we've got is this love reality that is just welling up in us that we want to give to the lost and broken around us who are doing everything illegitimately to try to meet legitimate needs. Right? We have legitimate needs. First and foremost is we want to be love, loved. And then what do we do? We meet them illegitimately by doing crazy stuff with our bodies and on the Internet and whatever else it might be. But that's, they're, they're, they're crying out for real love from us. Brothers and sisters, they need what we have. We can't keep hiding it. So we go to the next passage, and this is where we get into the responsive love living. And somebody said to me, what are you going to preach on? And I said, I'm going to preach on doing good. And they went, ugh. (laughs) Ugh. Doing good. God, what does that mean? That sounds so bland and stale and maybe on the edge of some kind of weird legalistic, I have to do this or else God will hate me. 
or you will. For it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. I love this passage. I have employed this passage in my own head and heart so many times when I've been so hurt, so angry, so disappointed, so embarrassed when the unbelieving world just tramples on me. And I think, oh, what do I do? Do I fight back? No, you know what I do? I love. Doing good. I'm going to talk to you about this because this word is so powerful. What it literally means is benevolence. Okay? Benevolence means love and action. It's the kind of idea where famous people have said in the past, live the gospel and insert words when only absolutely necessary. When you live the gospel, all of a sudden your life gets exciting to other people. It starts answering the confusion in their heads and hearts because they cannot believe that someone would actually love them when they're a mess. And they're actually defensive for a reason, right? They're self-protective. They're vomiting their junk onto you because they don't know what to do. They're doing this thing, right? They're inviting, they're, they're so needy for you, but they're putting that hand up and saying, I don't want anything to do with you. What silences that ignorance and that foolish talk? Benevolence. Peter builds a case. By the way, this is the old Peter, not the young, put my foot in my mouth, Peter. This is the old Peter who's about to get strung up on a cross upside down for what he believes. He's going to be martyred for his faith. He writes this book, and he has something to say to all of us who are feeling oppressed by the unbelieving culture around us. He says, you know what you need to do? Love. And he calls it doing good, love in action, benevolence. I want you to see this because this is the recent part of my story. Um, I met a man named Mwangi Degwa. He's the one in the light shirt just next to me there. Wongi and I are the same age. We work at Cadence International, this military ministry. We met nine years ago. He started telling me about his home village in Thierry, Kenya, which is two hours north of Nairobi. They've never had any help from nonprofits, no Christian work from the West. This is the poorest of the poor. This is the least of these. And we incorporated a little nonprofit in 2013, flew over in 14, and realized the least of these that we could help first were orphans. So we grabbed up 11 illegally. We started a children's home and found out it was illegal. <laughs> we, we, we went to the local authorities the day after we opened the children's home, and they said, huh, we've not heard of you. I think this is illegal. But you know what they said next? Thank you. Now we're going to help you get legal, and we want you to double your numbers as fast as possible. So we opened a children's home, and we did this as hobbyists. And what I say is you can have a hobby in anything. You can, you can race the fastest boats. You can buy the wall of guitars. You can do whatever you want with your hobby. Well, some of us decided we'd start a children's home in Africa as our hobby, and it has taken us on such a wild journey. These are our first, uh, well, nine of our first 11 kids. We lost two. Uh, one, we lost to um, an abduction and attempted extortion, and we lost him. His name's Peter. He's on the streets of Nairobi somewhere. The other one had some kind of mental or spiritual um, problem, and he ran away so many times we finally had to let him go. But these are the survivors. We have um, now, now eight kids. 
we just built a children's home. Uh, this house that we had here, and then I'll move on, was a house given to us by Mwangi's brother. It was 300 square feet. Smaller than that room that you're all sitting in back there. And these kids, we, we yanked them out of their terrible situation, and we've given them a, an opportunity. And now I'm hanging on for dear life because this is what happened. I realized a couple years later, this is a three-year-old project, I realized a year ago, these are my kids for life. These are, these are kids who will grow up with us. We'll put them through college. They'll become amazing men and women who love Jesus dearly. And then they're going to come back into this community and make a huge difference. And when I die, these are going to be my kids. Praise God. In Kenya, you say, praise God. And everyone yells, amen. And you say, praise it again. And they say, amen. So praise God. Amen. Praise him again. So God gave this as a little tiny gift to me, and it turned into a huge gift, and now I'm quitting Cadence, and I'm going to go run this full-time from, from Denver because I'm a mobilizer. Uh, but I go over as often as I can, and I take people like you, and I want to take you. So you're going to tell me if you want to go, and then I'm going to take you. Why do I want to take you? Because you need to see the kingdom of God is bigger than open door. You need to see that there are broken people all over this world and they need us and we need to keep sending the health of what we believe the theology that we have taken in and have absorbed we need to give to the next generation and it's all over the world we need to do that but it's hard work because when we do it this is the kind of stuff that starts happening but if you suffer for doing good wait 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 no 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 what what do you mean suffer i thought i was just doing good What do you think this unbelieving culture is going to think if you keep loving them well? (laughs) Something wrong with you. It's it's attractional, and it's super confusing. And you know, Peter was actually talking to people like slaves who were being oppressed by their masters. You want to see suffering? Try to love Jesus and obey your master. Try to love Jesus and be told that you are nothing. And then you can see why Peter wrote this. But look what he says. He says, but if you endure it, it's, it's commendable. What's that, what's that mean? It means God calls us to tenacity. He calls us to be tenacious. He calls us to persevere. He doesn't call us to comfort. He doesn't call us to go sit on our hands somewhere. He calls us to, eat, to go even further into this crazy world and be more about loving more about giving away. And what does it do? It silences the ignorant talk of foolish men. It just keeps getting better and better. We must turn from evil and do good, and he must seek peace and pursue it. Even when it's toppling down on you, what does God call us to? Peace. And there's nothing worse than when the church is fighting with itself. If we're going to go fight, let's go fight with somebody out there right, out there in the unbelieving world. But he calls us to peace because what is the world going to see when we are peacemakers who sow in peace? We raise a harvest of righteousness. That's another passage in First Peter. Actually, it's 3.18. It's just seven verses after this. 
And then he says, who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Well, we know we could get martyred. We know we can get thrown into prison. So what is he saying here? Let's think about being a sojourner again. Where's my home? It's in heaven. Who's my father? He's God. He's going to take care of me. And even if I get taken out for the gospel, there's really no ultimate harm, is there? I'm not talking about all of us going into harm's way, although I do have friends in Cadence International who do the crazy stuff in Afghanistan and all over the ISIS world. And when I see their videos on Facebook, first thing I think to myself is, why are they posting this stuff? <laughs> they're like a target that's becoming even more visible. And the second is they're getting shot at and bombed. And I commend them for what they're doing. But that's not us, right? Not in this room. But what are we? We are a target of Satan. And he wants to see us just flounder and fall apart. So we need each other all the more to hold each other up while we're going and we're doing battle together. That's what he wants. This is about being men and women and kids on mission. Now, there's some good stuff here, too. It's just not coming yet. Because here's the next passage on doing good. It's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And I'm reading this is God's will. You know what? Sometimes it is. God wants us to move into the trenches. He wants us to take shots. He's asking us to suffer. By the way, the rest of the book, if you read it, is about Christ's suffering and our identification with that suffering. That's the context of this whole book. He says, consider it pure joy. Like James says in James chapter 1, because now you're identifying with your Savior who has really suffered for you. And then what did he do in that suffering? He gave his love to us through him so that it could well up and pour out onto others. And then he says this, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to be tenacious to keep going, to not give up, and then to surround yourself with a lot of really cool godly people who are praying with you and who are putting the bandages on you and who are really, truly your brothers and sisters in the battle with you. By the way, the reason I picked this is because I want us to just think out. That's it. I don't have any, anything to say about in right now because I know this church understands in. We also understand up. In is us, up is what's going on here, but out means we're called to be on the Great Commission. This is our life calling as sojourners, to be men and women who go out and find the pockets of relationship where Jesus needs to be expressed, first, by how we love, and then second, because by that point, you've earned the right, you have an audience to share. By the way, that can be in the first 30 seconds or it could take 30 years. But tenacity is what God calls us to. So I want to talk about the good part of this because there is something about all this that um, really makes sense to me and you when we read the scriptures fully. When you go back into this and you see that it says in 3.13, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? Then you have to read 3.14, which I didn't put up, and it says this. 3.14 says, But even if you should suffer for what is right in doing good, you are blessed. 
And this is something that eludes all of us because don't we all want to feel the blessing of God in our lives? This is, this is a little bit of a, like a formula that people try to figure out. They're like, if I do this and then I do this, then I should feel blessed or I should get blessing. Well, let's define what blessing is. Are you ready? I need everybody to sit up straight, kids too. I need you to look right at me. And I need everybody to do this with me. Take a huge deep breath and then exhale all together. Ready? Feels good, huh? Let's do it again. Ready? Okay, that is the root in the Hebrew of blessing. It's a deep satisfaction in God that you only get when you're close and connected to him and serving him. It literally means a deep exhale. In, in the Hebrew, there was this idea that when, and when you get home at night, and by the way, you know these days. These are the days that you love the best. You just did something really powerful and rich. You just gave your life away. You were really experiencing joy, but it's exhausting. And when you get home, you lay your head on, on your pillow and you do what? And if you have a spouse, you turn to him or her and say, oh, that was a great day. That was a day well spent. Because the, well, the, the life well lived should be a life well spent. And a life well spent should be pretty exhausting. And when you go to bed on that night, you feel blessed. Now are you understanding what blessing is more than ever? You go, that was a great day. Last week, Eli came home. He's 21. He's working with kids at the local school. This is fun. My youngest, my my daughter and my oldest are all working for the local public school, running the, the, the primary school summer program. So they pack their lunches and walk to the local elementary school every day. And they, they serve and love on kids. My, my older son, Eli, he's working with fourth and fifth and sixth grade boys. And he comes home and he's just exhausted. And you know what he says? Dad, this is literally, he plops down on the couch and goes, Dad, that was an awesome day. And I say, why? He says, because I got to give it to these boys. That's a blessed day, isn't it? that make sense? Do you guys want to experience that blessing? I mean, this is pretty self-centered when you read it. <laughs> it says that if you do this, you will be blessed. By the way, in John chapter 13, we teach about, Jesus teaches about washing the disciples' feet. And then in 17, you go there and look. I think it's 17 or 18. He says, now I know that it's right and good that you call me, what? Lord and teacher. It's right and good that you call me that. But now go and do what I did. And if you do these things, who will be blessed? He says, you will be. But what's the, what's the formula? <laughs> you got to wash some feet. What? Right? The American sensibility isn't that I'm going to go wash feet. The American sensibility is I'm going to go study the Bible. And I'm going to hang out with my friends. In fellowship, which is right and good. But what does the scripture say? What did Jesus say in John 13? He said, drop it, go be like me, and go wash some feet. 
But if you do this, you will be blessed. Just like he says here, yep, you're going to suffer, but guess what? If you, do, if you suffer for what is right, you are blessed. By the way, what time is it, and what time should I get off? Five minutes ago? Okay, we're good? I'm going to keep going because... Good. I'm going to take it. Got it. So the good news is I am going to wrap up. Because I want to get back to identity. What has God saved you from? That's your identity. You're a child of the king now. You were once this wretched, oppressed thing that was deserving of God's wrath. And then Jesus just absolutely walloped you. And you said yes to him. And you asked for forgiveness. And then you became his follower and you wanted to be like him. And then what does he say? Well, then what, is, what did he save you for? That's your purpose. Do you know that holy means set apart? And as a holy one, we're set apart for God-given purposes. So my challenge and my plea and my encouragement is, can you go figure out what that is? For some men and women in this room, they've got it, man. They have nailed it. They've been doing it for 40, 50, 60 years, whoever they may be. Some of us, we've been wondering, and it's, it's, it's not a sin to not know. But you know what would be sad is that if the men and women around you didn't help you figure it out. So we're called to help each other figure out what our purpose is. And watch out. If this little fellowship finds its purpose individual by individual, we're going to continue to be the smallest megachurch in the world. We're going to keep sending out, and we're going to be on mission. We're not going to have time to worry about what's going on. We're going to just love each other well. Amen? Praise the Lord. Praise Him again. So love. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to be with my brothers and sisters of all ages, God, of, of um, such a rich history and, and so many lives that have been changed in this room. Lord, we cannot be the best kept secret. Lord, help us. Let it well in us, your love. And let it pour out and ooze out onto all the lost and broken people around us. And God, teach us how to love one another well, that the unbelieving world would see us and say, why are you so different? How can you love? Lord, help us to know how to trust you and your Holy Spirit's power in our life and his hard wiring in our life. God, help us to understand our gifting, our talents, our strengths, our history, whatever it is, God, show us how to love. Give us opportunities every new day, God. Help us to never be introverted. Lord, help us to give this love away. I trust you with it now, and I pray this in Christ's powerful and precious name. Amen.